0: Started realizing that money could be an incredible tool to help people live a, a more impactful life. And while I couldn't articulate it at the time, I like I couldn't understand why everyone was broke. Cash flow is everything. Cash flow will really run a lot of areas. Look at your cash flow and ask the question: is it possible that we could increase that? Because that is the number one thing that will drive the bottom line, is if you can maintain your standard of living and increase the money coming in and save that.
1: You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to Never of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 173. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world, man? Doing good. Just watching this crypto go up. Yeah, right? And you got any crypto? That, nothing much. You got any crypto yourself? No. What? You? Yeah, I got a little bit, but nothing, no crazy exposure to it. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, we saw Tesla announce, Elon Musk announced this week that that uh, Tesla bought some. So if you're holding the S&P, you technically have some exposure to it now since it's on Tesla's balance sheet at this point. So yeah, what did he buy? Like over a billion or dollars or something yeah, crazy? I think like 1.5 billion or something. So, pretty <laughs> substantial amount, right? Just a little, yeah, a little chunk change. Yeah, yeah. Said that they'll probably allow payment via crypto in the future, or at least Bitcoin. It's pretty interesting. I I fiddled around with Dogecoin back in the day. It's it's been it's up substantially for me because I think when I bought it, it was like three cents, and now it's like six or seven. <laughs> so, so do you have Bitcoin? I've got a little bit of Bitcoin, but not a not a ton. And, uh, Are you going to buy more? Do you think? I don't know. I mean, I'm it's one thing I'm trying to figure out. Like, how does that fit in my portfolio, and does it? You know, and and if it does, then what kind of allocation? Just definitely not putting any of my retirement accounts. I think my retirement accounts. I've I, I kind of have those pegged and those funds and set it and forget it. But starting to build a little bit of a holdings outside into taxable account. And that's kind of where I hold that crypto, but. You know, it's not a substantial portion for me of my net worth and it's definitely not uh, going to be anytime soon. It's just a matter of do I make a strategy of it? Is it going to be adopted, you know, in the future? Is this what we're headed towards and does it make sense to invest in it or not? Or, you know, it's, it's one of those things that just it's come out of left field. I think a lot of people thought it wasn't going to really get legs. And now when you got a Fortune 500 company buying it, it, it kind of makes you think a little bit. At least me. At least it made me think a little bit more than I had before. I mean, before I just kind of got some, is not a joke, but just, all right, I got some Bitcoin or yeah, I've got a little Dodge Coin for kicks and giggles.
2: So what percentage of, I mean, we've interviewed 250 millionaires or so, what percentage of them do you think hold some sort of cryptocurrency? It's really not many. I mean, if it was 5%, that'd be 12 people. That probably sounds about right. Maybe yeah, something
1: like that. I mean, it's about the same equivalent of how many hold gold, precious metals. You know, know,
2: probably only had 10 or yeah, maybe even less, right? Less than 5%.
1: Yeah, it's not very much. But that will be something I think interesting for us to to look at over the years is to see what portfolios change and uh, as it relates to crypto and by how much. Because some of those people, I mean, if you would have just put in, you know, a couple hundred bucks in a crypto back in. You know, 2013 or 14 or 15, I mean, that would be several hundred thousand, if not million dollars now. You almost did, didn't you? Uh, Yeah, I was, you know, it was one of those things I read about. My roommate and I in college were kind of dabbling and found this. And it's kind of like, man, let me see if I can like figure out how to buy some of this stuff. Maybe it'll be something. And I think I was like, I'll do a hundred bucks. And he found some like, (laughs) you know, garbage backdoor website. And, you know, at the time I didn't really understand it, but. Seem like hey, maybe this will have legs someday. And if I lost a hundred bucks, I so will it's not the end of the world. But we can just never really figure out how to reliably buy some, and so it just never did. I'm not smart yeah, enough it's to probably.
2: Easier, you can buy you can buy crypto through PayPal. Yeah. Uh, what else? There's there's yeah, that there Robinhood. In- I mean,
1: there's all sorts of brokerages that. It's interesting because you got on one hand you've got CEOs of major banks like Chase that are out there saying it's a complete scam, and then you've got. You know, and Elon Musk is one of the wealthiest people in the world putting it on the balance sheet of Tesla. There's two big viewpoints on it, whether or not it's going to have legs and whether it's not, you know, it's for real or not, or I don't know. You going to buy anytime soon?
2: I don't think so, but it'll be fun to follow and fun to see how it all plays out. Yeah. Uh, How much higher is it than when it was, what was it at a couple years ago when it had reached its all-time high and then it dipped and now it's obviously back up. But what was, how much higher is it now than then?
1: I mean, heck, Bitcoin, let's just see here. 2 years ago which would have been January February so is it $3000 3500 and now it's at 45000 46000
2: <laughs> Yeah so it, it looks like in it, it's last peak though was I mean when it first kind of got the hype was December 19. 17 it got up to 20 grand so it's, it's yeah uh, doubled basically or a little bit more than double what it's at 46 now as we record this
1: Yeah yeah I mean it dipped pretty low after that 17 for 2 years And then kind of been hanging out, and then obviously, I mean, it's just skyrocketed in 2020. But yeah, I mean, I'm you know, I wasn't smart enough to try to figure out how to mine any myself either. So, (laughs) (laughs) I just needed to figure out if I could buy some, and I never did. did. We wouldn't probably be doing this. Yeah, that is probably. Well, I don't know. I still love the podcast. It's it's been pretty fun, that's for sure. But. Anyway, on today's show, we have Caleb. He's an entrepreneur. has a net worth of about $8 million. He's about 700000 of that liquid, but a majority of his net worth is invested in his business. He gives about one year's worth of payroll, in his savings account he has about 13 employees. One thing of note is Caleb is young, a very young millionaire. He's 24 years old, and he is a big believer in businesses and does not invest in the stock market or real estate at this time. It's going to be a great interview with him. Last week, we had Max. He shared a story about growing up very poor in India, moving to the States in high school, and jumping around to different colleges. Following college, he worked at a hotel until the hotel suddenly closed, and he was jobless and without savings. He lived on the streets for six months until he was able to find another opportunity and start fresh. He now has a net worth of million dollars, owns a gas station, and a couple other rental properties. Thank you all for listening to the show week after week. If you enjoy it, please review us on iTunes or Stitcher helps us continue to grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. Also, if you're interested in any multifamily commercial opportunities in real estate, let us know. Reach out. Millionairesinbarrel at gmail.com. We'll get on a phone call and kind of discuss our process with you and uh, go from there. Really appreciate all the millionaires that continue to reach out. We're always looking for new ones to interview. We love getting all these stories out there and really helping uh, the the greater good and learning from each other. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Caleb.
0: Caleb, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Oh, you guys, I'm a huge fan of yours. Thanks to you so much for having me on the show. And my my quick background is I'm a 24-year-old entrepreneur in the financial service space. I run a company called Better Wealth, and and I'm extremely passionate about helping people maximize this whole money thing and truly live a more intentional life and and so that's what I do and I've had quite the journey in the financial service business uh making making me a, a very young person uh, but I I am grateful to be in the, the business and serving people.
1: No that's exciting and I can't wait to to get into your story a little bit we were talking a little bit before the podcast but before we get into that what's your net worth today?
0: Liquid? I have about $780,000 that if we had to liquidate just all my liquid assets that would be um, and then my business was uh, valuated last year around 7.6 million. Um, and so that's, that's kind of, I, I, I like to separate those because I think some people can ele- enhance their business net worth, but, uh, run a business and I, I also have quite a bit of liquidity. Oh, that's awesome. So let's break down the, the liquid assets or the assets that you could liquidate. How are those broken up? Yeah. So because I, because I have 13 people on payroll and we're growing, I have, I have a good year's worth of, uh, like payroll just sitting in a savings account and and part of those savings is in high yield savings where I'm getting a better than 0% interest rate. I also and this is going to open up a whole can of worms, but I also wrote a book called The And Asset which which helps entrepreneurs and investors put a lot of money in a special type of overfunded life insurance. And so I I actually save over $100,000 a year into that strategy and and there's it's liquid, there's a lot of liquidity there, but it's continuing to grow tax free for the rest of my life. And so I have some of that. Um, And then I just have um, some other like short term savings into like a checking account. So that's where my liquidity is at. And then I also have a fund where I invest in other businesses. And right now we're a lot in cash mainly because there's a lot of uncertainty and we're just looking for opportunities. And so that's kind of how my liquidity is based at, at the date of this recording.
1: Interesting. So you don't have any money invested
0: in real estate or in equity markets? Uh, I, I personally do not, um, mainly, mainly because I'm a big believer in businesses. I try to buy businesses and, I'm, I'm, and scale them. And so for me, and I know I'm, I'm odd here, but for me, business is my greatest asset. And so I don't want to put my money or diversify in other things like real estate or the stock market, mainly because of the result that I want to get. Um, so I know I'm, I'm unique in that and a lot of people that we serve real estate is is very very popular and I've, I've seen a lot of people get results there and then obviously a lot of people are putting their money in in the SP Yeah totally so let's rewind
1: here a little bit and, and maybe go back to to the 18 year old Caleb and how Caleb got
0: started on his journey right well we'll go back to we'll go back to the 15 year old Caleb where I got my first job at a chicken farm okay and so I, I promise you um, hof- hopefully there, this won't offend too many people but I have an appreciation for the chicken sandwich more than majority of the people listening to this let's just put it that way so i i processed chickens and i got paid a dollar per chicken that i got to process so what ended up happening is i started making money and i have always been into being frugal and saving my money and i've always been interested to see how money works so what ended up happening was i started reading books and the richest man in babylon was one of the books i read good to great by Tim collins you know it was books by robert kiyosaki and i just started realizing That money could be an incredible tool to help people live a a more impactful life. And while I couldn't articulate it at the time, I like I couldn't understand why everyone was broke. Like I just that just bothered me, and I was like very into this stuff. And so, ironically, at 15 years old, that's when I started um, investing in stocks. I started doing option trading. I never did real estate, but I I learned a ton about real estate, and I was just super interested to see how this whole money game worked. And if you would have asked me at 15, 16 years old, I would have told you I wanted to be a hedge fund manager and trade options and and just just because I, I just love that whole game. And then I, I also knew that I wanted to get, learn about this whole money investing deal. And so I got a job at a bank at 17 years old. I, I grew up in central Wisconsin and I just like loved learning. I, I figured if I want to learn about money, I should probably work in, in a banking institution where that's what they do. And so I learned, I, I ended up learning in marketing. I worked behind the teller line. And when I when I was 18 years old, I got a job in our investment department as the investment assistant. And I, I thought I arrived because I had my name um, and at, on a business cards, I finally had business cards and I got to go to networking events and just continue to um, be able to share the message. And, and so I learned a ton. And then when I was 19 years old, the guy that was running our investment department took another job. And at 19 years old, when I was starting college, I was going for business and finance. I ended up taking over the, the bank's full investment department, and that's where, to, in total frankness, that's where I I was in over my head. Number one, but I also became like really motivated to truly seek to understand and try to find ways to help our clients um, because I I didn't know what I I didn't know much. Let's just put it that way. But I knew enough to be dangerous, and I also knew what happened locally. Would happen on a national level. And so what I did is I just traveled the country. I, I really, truly sought to understand people. And so I tried to reach out to experts and other people. And I really gained a lot about how taxes work, trusts work, how different ways to save your money, how different efficiency strategies work. That's when I became, I was super anti-life insurance. And now I wrote a book on life insurance called The And Asset. So I, I've kind of learned a lot of different things about money. And then when I was 21 years old, I knew I had this mission of helping people reach their highest potential in their life and money had a lot to do with that and I knew at my time at the bank um I could do that but I I was you know I had to stick to my office and I wanted to do more online and um, market to more people and really build a team and so I actually left the bank on good terms but left started Better Wealth um uh, when I was 21 years old and that's what that's what I've been growing ever since and authored the book, The And Asset, and have the podcast and just kind of growing growing this message of different principles of wealth and, and trying to help people really master that. So that's my journey in a nutshell.
1: That's awesome. So at what point did you know or decide that you were not going to take a maybe tr- more traditional route and go to college after high school?
0: Well, and I actually, so I, I did actually go to college. I, I graduated in three years and I was really blessed because the college that I went to, University of Stevens Point, was in the same hometown. So I got to work full time. And I, I graduated and I was homeschooled in high school. And so I was already kind of an out of the box thinker and uh, got a year of college done in high school. I got to live at, I, I'm guys, I'm super frugal. I lived at home, ate my mom's food, <laughs> went to college, also worked practically full time. And what ended up happening is I'm not the biggest college fan, if I'm being honest, but it gave me three years to, to kind of do my own self education. And so when I graduated at, tw- at 21, that's when I left the bank. And that's, I, I definitely leaned a lot more on my experience of mentors than I did school. School just gave me the freedom to say, you know what? I don't need to make money at 18, 19, 20. Like I don't need that to be the sole focus. So I, I reinvested that into myself.
2: Well, good for you. So how, how much were you making then when you were working at the bank, if you're comfortable sharing and also going yeah. to school?
0: So when I entered college, 18 years old, I had $24,000 in my bank account, mainly because I don't spend any money. Okay. Um, And so, and that was invested in stocks. It would actually be fun if we went back. It was all individual stocks because I wanted to learn and and all that stuff. And then when I graduated college, I was making pretty good money because obviously running the bank's investment department, I wasn't successful at all. But like being so young by default, I just was making probably. $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 30 dollars $50,000 a year and I just reinvested that back into my business because I always knew I wanted to do what I'm doing now and that's when I first realized that taxes is a really bummer. <laughs> I was like, "Man, I am paying a lot of taxes because I didn't have <laughs> like any write-offs and 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 I was single." So, yeah, that was that was in a nutshell. I, when I left the bank at 21, um, I I had about $35,000. I actually liquidated my stocks to start Better Wealth and we've grown it ever since. And so I would very much say, I'm not endorsing liquidating your stocks. I was just super clear what I wanted. And so I saw myself and my business as the investment, and I was clear on the results because I'm, I'm motivated more than just money. I want to have an impact on this world. And I realized that business for me was a platform, and so I wanted to go all in on that. So what's Better Wealth? Tell us what you guys do. Uh, better Wealth in a nutshell is, is a pretty much an alternative to financial planning. We're, if you go to betterwealth.com, you'll see our website. And we help people. We're in like 42 states. We have the um, ability to work with anyone across the country. And essentially, we, we serve people by helping them figure out their whole money thing, make sure that their money's working for them, that they can live a more powerful life today and in the future. And so I would say in a nutshell, we're financial planners that take a unique approach and work with people online.
2: So how does it? How do, yeah? How, talk to us about that. How does it differ, right? Because I think financial planners, in in some sense, or in a lot of people's mind, have a bad rap. Right?
0: Yeah. So what yes. do you do
2: differently? Are you managing so here, investments? Here, are you working with them to understand how to manage it themselves?
0: Yeah. Here's and I'll, I'll just walk you through our four principles, if I may, because I think this will make a lot of sense. The four way, the four principles that we walk through. Everyone and it, you could be broke or you could have a lot of money. Um, but the four ways that we we walk through is number one, we have to have clarity. Most people have no clue what they want. And I'll take you back to the Alice in Wonderland quote of, you don't know where you want to go, any road will get you there. So many people have no clue where they want. And so we talk about ROR instead of rate of return, which the reason why financial planners or Wall Street has a bad rap sometimes is they're so focused on rate of return and they feel like whatever that rate of return is, that's where you're going to put your time and attention. And what we want our clients to really get clear on is what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your life to look like now? What results do you want in the future? And get ultra clear on putting your money in a place and using your time in, in, in and in ability to live that reality. So the first the first principle is clarity. And, and we really try to park there and get really clear on someone's why. We want, we want in other words, to define what you define, um, define as financial success. The second thing that a lot of financial planners do not focus on, that we have a big focus on, is efficiency. Efficiency, we want to optimize your cash flow. We want to optimize your assets and we want to optimize your debt. And I'll just walk you through how we do this. We would look at someone's cash flow, and people have money coming in, and it's either consumed, whether it's to taxes, whether it's spending, whether it's on some, it, regardless of what they're spending their money on, when you lose a dollar, it's gone forever or it's saved for the future. So we want to ask the question how are we, how, what are ways that we can increase our cash flow? Maybe redirect money into certain areas, maybe stop spending, maybe track your money here and start getting people to save more money because we have a savings crisis on our hands as a country and as a world. So that's one thing that we look at. Then we then we look at your assets and this could be your house. This could be retirement accounts. This could be anything really um, of value. And we ask the question, do these assets best align, best help you um, with the results that you want? What, what we find is a lot of people are investing. A lot of people have assets, but they can't really articulate what that asset is doing for them. It's just a number on a piece of paper. And then a lot of people that are listening to this are probably um, struggling with debt. Uh, maybe not your audience, but there's a lot of people that we experience that are just, that have debt. And there are debt strategies that we focus with someone. And if you're in tough debt, instead of investing, let's take that money and invest in paying off your debt first before we move forward. And so the second principle that we live by is efficiency. And so clarity and efficiency, I think, are, are what ses- separates us. The third principle is all about consistency. And we want people to be consistent long-term and short-term. And so when I think of consistency, I think of C squared. So the first C stands for compounding. You, you want to understand that every dollar that you have is worth way more than a dollar. So compound interest is an amazing thing. But also control is incredible. And I think most financial planners, it, they wouldn't articulate it this way, but they're pretty much telling you, give me, you give me your money, you'll get compound growth, but in a way you're giving up control. And so, one of the things that we try to teach our clients is compound growth is really important, but also controlling capital could be a far greater um, value to you, especially if you identify more as an entrepreneur or want to invest in certain deals. Um, And then the fourth principle is all about use. If you are your greatest asset, the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money, the way that you use your your creative creativity and value um, is is everything. So we try to help people use their time and money in what we call asset-based activities. And this is the, the number one activity, whether it's investing or whether it's the way that you spend your time in a way that will help drive the bottom line, which may be financial or may be helping you get closer to your results. And so I know that's, that's big and I know that's different and that does sound a little bit out, outside the box, but we're really all about clarity, efficiency, being consistent and using your money in, in ways that will help you today and in the future.
2: Yeah, the, it's a good answer. The, the clarity thing is interesting because we've had a, a couple millionaires on the show that were in significant amounts of debt before they were able to climb out of it and eventually reach millionaire, multi-millionaire status. And that's one of the things we've heard is, "Look, I didn't know where to start. Yep, right. I was in all this debt, and I didn't know it wasn't normal. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I guess it is, but I didn't know how to get out of it. Yep. Right. And, and then it's like a specific moment or they read something or they hear something or they talk to somebody and they finally get this moment that's, that they to live like this. Yep. Right. But, but finding that, I mean, those of us that have somewhat figured it out, right? we think it's easy, but I think there's a lot of people that just don't know that that's not an option. 100%.
0: I love that you mentioned that and I totally echo. I think some of our most raving fans started seeing what was possible and started knocking off some of that debt and changed the momentum against them. And, and and turn that momentum behind them, and it's really cool to see some of the the stories that are coming out of people that get their debt figured out.
2: Yeah, yeah, good for you guys. So now, for you personally, as as the business continues to grow and and I assume make some money, how do you decide how much to put back into the business and how much to invest on the side or or take out
0: personally? Yeah, I, are you guys are you guys fans of like profit first mentality? Mike McAlliwitz, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very familiar. So. I, I really, really like that because I, I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, they're in love with their idea of a business and you look back and they spend their entire life on a treadmill and they don't find any, like they're just, they don't have mechanisms to best save their money. And that's exactly why I wrote the book, The And Asset, because I just find that a lot of people have savings problems. And I, I, we actually have a tool on our website that, that shows people if they're financially imbalanced or not based on how much money you're saving at a certain point in your life. And it takes into consideration how much you're saving and how much you're consuming. It's a really interesting tool. What we find is 98% of people are not saving enough money. So to answer your question, I, I find strategies on just how to save a ton of money, but I do it in such a way where I don't give up control. So that's why I have so much money liquid is we think of liquidity as like 0% interest. But I'm I i have I'm saving a lot of money where it's, it's going to benefit me long term. But I also am a control freak when it comes to my money. And whether it's my business or other in- investments and businesses that I'm investing in, I want to have control over capital. And so I just find that if you can control money, you can save a lot more. Um, and so I'm probably unique when it comes to that because there's probably other people that have like they put their money in special investments and they can tell you exactly what goes through. Um, I can tell you I save more than $200,000 a year into places that I can control that will grow for me long term, but that will give me the ability to reinvest in uh, other opportunities.
2: Nice. That's good enough. So when you're working with all these people wh- what do you find as as maybe the top couple things that are holding people back is it what we mentioned earlier them not knowing what to do is yep. it being mindset. willing to act is it yeah is it yep. mindset what is it
0: It's it's mindset and there's two there's two types of people right a, a lot of people don't actually believe this life is possible they don't believe that this result is possible and so you see that in the way that they show up in the way that they think about themselves and and it just it's just kind of like a they they just are consistently working against them i think of think of like driving trying to do the right thing but your foot's on the brake and it's just like man we gotta like take a step back and i my recommendation to them right now would be like through self-awareness through clarity start start like looking at some of the people that are in your life start looking at some of the things that are just working against you and have tough conversations like be self-aware this is really hard to be consistent over time to- a long time um if you're not self-aware and so that's like that's one Type of people, and I just want to encourage them and just be like, "This this is possible," and um, be consistent and be consistent in the little things. Then there's the other type of people that are like very like into what they're doing, and they also need self awareness, but they're just like all in on their business or they're they're all in on this on the next deal. And what what I find is because they're all in, they have the fear of missing out. It's it's just that drives them, and they. I'm sure we've all seen this. We probably all have funny stories of like through that, we make some really dumb financial decisions or we're, we're too romantic with our business and, and it's not working, but we think it's going to work because we keep on telling us um that's going to work. And, and so it's like, and again, I would, I would make the argument that both of those people don't have clarity on the actual results that they want. They're chasing things, but they're, they need to take a step back and have self-awareness. And I, I would say that self-awareness has a lot to do with how you start. And then all you want to do is reverse engineer what you need to do with your time and money to, to get to where you want to go. And that, and that for me saying that, that might sound, we can break that down and I would love to do that. Um, but it, it really is that simple, but it needs to start with you knowing thyself. Cause if you don't, then, then you'll just listen to the next person and, um, you won't really know why you're applying that to your life. Yeah. So how do you figure it out? I love your questions, you guys. <laughs> right, right to the point. I love it. I, th- so. I would, I would be able to answer what would you do if money wasn't an issue and how, you, how, how do you define financial success and like, get really clear on what that looks like. And what we find is don't give some number because it's I mean numbers can be deceiving. Be like, if, I, if money wasn't an issue at all, this is how I would be spending my life. And then look at what, what you have going on right now. Look at the money coming in. And there's a lot of people that need to make more money. So there's side gigs where you might need to find another job. You may want to start a business or you might want to shut down a business and go work for somebody because cash flow is everything. Cash flow will really run a lot of areas. And the number one investment again is yourself. If you have clarity where you want to go, look at your cash flow and ask the question, is it possible? Is it possible that we could increase that? Because that is the number one thing that will drive the bottom line is if you can maintain your standard of living and increase the money coming in and save that. The next thing that I would do is look at your assets that you have and ask the question: Are these assets going to best? get me to where I want to be. And when I'm there, are they gonna be can I spend them and and use them in the proper way? And those are the two ways that I would look at that. So I'll just use an example. There's a lot of business owners that are maxing out their 401k, which is which is totally fine. Some people are doing step IRAs, totally fine. The problem is if they come to me and say, man, I need more money. I want to invest in a marketing strategy and I want to do this and or I want to do this opportunity, but I have no money, I would look and say, dude, you have $300,000 in this account. The problem is that account is not super available uh, and and is is disincentivizing you to access that money. So that's an asset, but potentially that asset is not showing up in the best way for an entrepreneur. Now, the same is true that you could put your money into a liquid strategy, but you're just spending it. You'd be much better off putting that asset into something that was more locked away that was going for the future. It's not that a 401k is bad or good. It's being self-aware on how you're going to use that asset. Does that does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I follow you. Yeah, I mean, you talk about self-aware and you talk about consistency. I think we've talked about it a couple of times on this show, but I'm reading the book or just I'm just finishing the book called Slide Edge. You've probably heard of yep, that. Yep. Um, and, and that's what he's all about, right? Doing the little things. It's consistency that 10% or 5% of the people actually show up and do it over and over and over again. But that's hard right. to do. Right? Yep. I, think, I think all three of us would admit that that's hard to do. Yeah. You no, know, carrying it through weekends, carrying it through. I mean, it's it's tough, right? Being yep. consistent over and over again, you get burnout
0: out. Yep. And can I give an example off of consistency yeah, that yeah, I think of is course. so valuable? So if you get a if you get a car and you're and you look at gas mileage between city and highway, what you'll find is highway gas mileage is is far more efficient than through the city. And 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 it makes sense, right? Because when you're through the city, you're not driving as fast, but you're stopping and starting. You're stopping and starting. Whereas the highway, it, it takes a little bit of energy to get up to speed, but then you get to, what well, when you're cruising, it gets easier and easier and, and you get, it's more gas efficient. I think the same thing goes with our money and, and our habits. When a lot of people that I see with their money is they're stopping and starting, and they're never getting what Albert Einstein is noted for saying the eighth wonder. They're, they're just never getting that moving, and and they're making different decisions, and so we're we're missing out on that consistency. The same thing goes with our habits, and and quite frankly, you guys, this is something that it's a daily battle for me. I want to be consistent in the morning, but I'm not always. And I want to. I know that if I can be consistent in the little things, that will compound in every other area of my life. And so I just want to just transparently say that that is the number one thing that I'm working on personally, and I know that if I can be consistent at any positive thing for a year. That massive change will happen, but it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over multiple days. And so I just want to echo what you're saying.
2: Yeah, that's a good answer. Thanks for sharing. So, I mean, what are, Kale, talking back about you now, are there a couple things that you could point to and say, hey, that's really helped drive my success, whether it's financially or being able to start this business or, you know, whatever from a young age? Are there a couple things? Was it being hardworking? Was it looking for opportunity? Was it being able to? being willing rather to take a chance and to start a yeah. company, are there a few things that you can point to that you can say, hey, that's why I've been as successful as I am?
0: Right. hundred percent. So a couple books and I'll give you. So when I was working at the chicken farm, the richest man in Babylon was the first book I read. And I really, I read that multiple times and I'm dyslexic by the way. So I re- reading is really a, a labor of love, but like I was so fascinated by some of the principles in that. And then I then I read a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins, and that talks all about level five leadership and getting the right people on the bus. And so at 15, 16 years old, I started falling in love with this whole money thing. But I also fell in love with this, like, how do I surround myself with people that will really help me? And I'm a big fan of the quote, um, solutions that you find your weaknesses become your greatest strength. OK, so I'm super short. I'm no longer, I'm about average size now, but I was growing up was super short and I, and I've always struggled with reading. Like I would much rather wing a speech than if you give me something to read in front of people. Okay. And so I found ways throughout my life to get around the fact of like reading is really hard for me, but I, in class, I would go and network and find, um, usually the girls in the front row that take good notes, like, They always ended up in my group projects because I'm like, I just know that they like that that's super valuable. I want to learn from them. And so I use my abilities to like win friends. Um, And so the other books that have like made a tremendous impact and we, we actually read them as a company is how to win friends and influence people. People and relationships are like the thing for me. I've, I've invested more time and money into relationships than anything else. And then um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I got mentored at a young age by a guy who's probably worth $600 million plus. He sold his last insurance company to Warren Buffett and just an incredible guy. And I got him to mentor me. And he said, before I'm going to mentor you, I want you to read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so through mentorship in that book, I realized the importance of being proactive through thinking with the end in mind, through sharpening the saw. So I just started gaining all this stuff. And so to answer your question, I would say relationships and mentorship relationships have been a common theme in my life. Um, and then also this common idea of like, I want to serve and I want a heart of service. And that consistently, or it being consistent with being able to serve and add value to people, you'll you'll end up winning. And so I will summarize all that by saying, think and grow rich. While I can't endorse everything in that book, a lot of concepts of that it has been really true especially with this concept of money following value and creating value in the world and I just always knew when I started reading these books if I could create value in the world people would pay for that whether it's now or in the future but it's making sure that you can quantify that value and so that's been that's been my journey of like learning from people reading different books is just how to learn um, from others and, and really try to translate my actions into value now I'll also say, if you're not an entrepreneur, this this same principle shows up in the people that you work with and the investments that you make. Where can I put my money and time to create value? And the more value, valuable, and um, you, you put your money, it's going to make a greater rate of return. Or the more valuable you are to an employer, you're you're most likely going to get a raise if the, it's if they're if they're good. And if they're not, the, the marketplace is a beautiful thing.
1: No, I appreciate you sharing that. And you bring up, you know, some interesting topics that we've discussed about mentorship and, and, and networking groups and whatnot. How have those played a role in your success? And how have you been able to create relationships with, with certain
0: people that have played, you know, that role of mentor in your life? Um, so th- it all started, and this is actually, this is, oh man, this is a good question. I got a job at, at the bank at 17 years old through a guy. His name was Dick Judy. He actually passed away two years ago, and I was so nervous, you guys. Seventeen-year-old Caleb left his car on (laughs) because I just forgot. Like I was that nervous. I my mom helped me write down questions. Like so, I've come a long ways, okay. Um, And that one conversation, he picked up uh, his phone, got me a job at a bank, and my life has been changed ever since. And so I knew from there. I'm like, man, there's this thing. These relationships, like, like there's a phrase that says you're. Your network is your net worth. And I truly believe that. And so I was just always intentional to find people that were way more successful than me. I could then use my age card. Um, So if you're young, use it. Use the student. Like you're young, like people want to give back. I want to serve people. Um, And so that, and then you don't have to be young. It just helps if you're young and look like you're 12, like I did. Um, And so that's, that's like, that's like one area. And then I have just always, I've always been intentional with like, Seeking to serve even the people that are in my life. When we talk about investments, like here's how I think I spend quite a bit of money a month sending things to people. I have something called the Denver Dinner Connect where I pay for dinner for 10 to 15 people who it's an invite only and I just have them come and we connect and it's no pitch, no pitches. Just like I want to get to know their story, their business, and try to connect them. And I've just found that that has just been a really positive thing because the more people i get to know like you guys it's just i've just not seen that backfire and so um i'm a big relationship person and that's been definitely a common theme starting from when i was so nervous that i like i literally have come a long ways as it relates to being introverted being not confident being so scared i left my car on to you know now hosting dinner parties and and paying for people's meals mainly because i just really value who they are and their story
1: yeah, totally. I want to ask you just a little bit about your childhood and what
0: it was like growing up in Caleb, in Caleb's world. Yeah. yeah. So my parents are incredible. My, my dad is, has a PhD in molecular biology and my mom was a nurse and she stayed home and homeschooled us. I'm the oldest of six kids. So I will be the first to say I had an incredible upbringing. And while my parents were not entrepreneurs, they loved on us. They taught us values. I grew up in a, in a Christian home and and maintain those values to this day. And and so I was really grateful for that. And also, like this will tell you a lot about my mom. When I was when I was twelve years old, I was in like the skit, and I was again scared to speak in front of people. And I forgot my two lines that I had to remember. And what made matters worse is I pulled out my note card and like fumbled over my two lines. And I just remember being super just embarrassed and, and frustrated. And I was already short for my age and I, I can't even read practically. And my mom um, was has always just been encouraging, but also like reality. <laughs> and so she's like, Caleb, you can't do anything about your height. So just learn to laugh about it. Don't be a victim. Like we, we'd get punished as kids if we like pouted. So my parents did not want to raise anything, any victim mentality in, in us. So I'm grateful for that. But she then said, The things that you can control, like your reading, like how you show up, like how you learn, you have a moral obligation to go all in. So I had like a loving family, but they did not let us get a pass. They were hard on us. And like my dad, he was, if I worked with him, it was not good enough just to stand around. Um, I had to be proactive or he would get upset with me. Um, and another story that I can share with my dad is I remember Doing like college classes in high school, and I got an A in my macroeconomics class. And I'm like, on cloud nine, you guys. I come back, I, I tell my dad, and he's like, Did you learn anything? And I said, Dad, of course, I got an A. He's like, Caleb, there's a lot of people that get A's in classes that don't learn anything. And I 100% echo that because as I've gone through life, I realized that a lot of people don't have a heart of learning. And that's one thing that I really gained a lot from my family. And so I will say that um if you guys want a true champion you should get my mom on here <laughs> and and Yeah, she, let's bring he her on. Is, yeah, yeah, I would love that. So, um yeah, I'm just I'm super grateful for that upbringing and again, not entrepreneurs, they're super frugal. Um so it's not like I learned to even invest through them. But I got I got a solid foundation and in the end they were um they were big, they were a support of me of me going out and doing this. Um and so I'm I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So Caleb, we've discussed a little bit of the past and where you are now. Where is Caleb headed? I know you shared a couple of things with us before the show in terms of growing your, your, your business and your audience. What's the future hold for Caleb?
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for asking. It's interesting because Amazon is getting into the financial service business. They're starting in India. Mark my words, um, they will be in the U.S. I'm not going to put a time frame, but like it's only a matter of time. So I find that the financial service business is super archaic, not serving people well, and not set up to to scale. Because when you get into the financial service business, it's essentially like get a list of 100 people that you know, buy coffee for them, and then try to uh, like. Get them to you know give referrals and and then and it's like they don't really want you learning a ton because the more you learn you're not selling so that's like when I got into this business that was kind of how I was positioned and I'm like there is no way in the world I'm going to do that it's just and I was I was living at home and I didn't have to sell and so I'm grateful for that Um, and so I always wanted to do something different but I've always been passionate about helping people with money and so um, Better Wealth we we have like something provocative on our website we're like we're a better alternative to to financial planning. And what I mean by that is we like, number one, we have, we do everything online, which in the financial service business, the average financial advisor is a lot older than me. Let's just put it that way. But it's, I think it's last I checked, it's like 57 years old. Okay. And so there's a lot of people that are not using technology at all. And so when I started Better Wealth, people thought I was absolutely crazy. They're like, Caleb, no one's going to do business with you because you look like you're like 15 years old. No one's gonna trust you on the internet and like Zoom, like that's bizarre. Like no one's gonna like everyone knows what Zoom is now, but no one knew what Zoom was three or four years ago. And so it was just super interesting. Like so I knew that the internet was gonna be a place where people could learn and I knew that people didn't necessarily want to be sold or convinced. They wanted to like to to like seek to understand and then find someone that could really be an expert. The other thing is we are taught in the financial service business, you know, take a bunch of tests, become a fiduciary. But, but fiduciary test is just a test. Like it's just a test that you take. And I've always had a problem with people in the financial service business, like on one hand, needing to go get clients and another hand being sort of incentivized on, you know, what they did with that, with clients. And so what, what we do is our team is fully salaried, even wealth coaches, and we've, we've positioned it to be where we attract the business to come in. And then you're connected with a, a wealth coach online. That takes a coaching approach through principles, and then and then that has just it's just very much um, changed the game as it relates to like how that relationship works. And then we're really really big on optimizing your cash flow and talking about financial balance instead of a financial product. We're like, if you're financially not balanced in life, if you're not saving enough money, if you don't even understand what that means, then we got to take a step back and make sure that we know where we're trying to head. Before we try to make a, a product decision. And I just see a lot of products being flung around. And remember going back to that starting and stopping. Unfortunately, a lot of people in the way that they use their money and handle their money, they're st- starting and stopping a lot. And so um, my book is also on a unique strategy that a lot of people use. And we incorporate that into some of the people that we serve. And so that, that makes us unique. And where I want to head is I just want to, I want to dominate the financial industry and I want to, I want to serve a million people in the next five years. And we're going to do that in how we're starting to acquire different financial planning offices and how we're getting coaches to come on board and how we're how we're starting to acquire channels of distribution. And so we're starting a media company, the Better Wealth Network, with multiple podcasts and, and other blogs and things. And so we're building up a media company along with an with a independent financial coach company as well. And so that's our approach. And I'm just going to hopefully be around in in five to six years when Amazon gets in. So that's my goal.
2: (laughs) There's not a whole lot they're not getting into, right? Yeah. 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 Well, well, congrats on your success, obviously, and we wish you the best in growing it. So just just in closing here, I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions and then any final uh, words of advice. So uh, these are what we typically ask our millionaires. So what's the most expensive car you've ever purchased?
0: Oh, this is going to make me look bad. I, I do own a Tesla, so I, I paid $65,000 for that. Okay. What model? A Model 3. Model 3, um, okay. perform, uh, not performance, all, all-wheel all drive.
2: Okay. Nice. Uh, what about most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? It might be one of those ones where you're taking people out, right?
0: Yeah. Um, $580. And I'm still salty about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. What item or experiences are worth spending more money on to you?
0: relationships and and if you if most people when they get clarity on what they want it's more time with the people that they love don't don't cheap out on that
2: yeah what's not worth the money
0: trying to impress people that you don't like and that's by the way that's a lot of that that's a lot of stuff as it relates to cars tra- like a lot goes into that category
2: right, right okay age when you think you became a millionaire
0: so uh, 21 years old well, and that's still up in the air, but that's that's when I that's when my business was worth more than a million.
2: Okay, how much do you spend a year annual household spending?
0: Personally, or is that a personal? Yeah, yeah, correct, personal. Um, I I, I don't spend a lot of money, so maybe twenty twenty four thousand dollars, but that, yeah, I would say less than twenty four thousand dollars.
2: Okay, uh, as much as you're comfortable sharing here, what's been your range of household income?
0: I started at when I was twenty one when we started Better Wealth. We made eighty thousand dollars the first year, um, and and last year our revenue is is above seven figures, and we're on track to five uh, x that this year. Good for you guys. I mean, that's pretty good, right? You start the company, make eighty grand the first year. First first yeah, year. <laughs> I got into a, a good industry, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, what does it mean to be happy or fulfilled to you? To, uh, living a life of service and of impact, and that's what that that means. Okay.
2: So any, anything we didn't touch on, Caleb, is there any mistakes that you made that you'd advise against or anything you wish you would have done better? Any final yeah,
0: advice? I still to this day care a lot about what people think about me. And one of the things that I admire about a lot of people that I look up to is they have a true love for people, but they're not afraid of what other people think of them. And that is that is true wealth, you guys. And so one of the things that I would tell myself starting over again it's like, Caleb, like, be patient with yourself and don't care about what other people think about you on the good side and bad, because I've just found that has changed the way that I feel. And that means I'm ultimately vulnerable to what other people are saying. And so that, that'd be one thing. And then really understand what it means to be your greatest asset. I just find that so many people are devaluing themselves in the way that they think about their time and money. And if you actually understand that you should be the number one asset on that balance sheet, which by the way, if you look at a balance sheet, your name's not even going to show up. You understand that and you actually have that belief, then redesign your life, your time and the way that you use your money in a way that will best enhance that um, because ultimately you have one life. And it's like my deepest desperation to see people live that well.
2: Yeah, it's a a good answer. So thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing Um, your your company. Do you own 100% of it or do you have equity partners? I, I do own 100% of the company,
0: which hey, uh, sorry, that was sorry. important. That was important to me uh, early on, and that was advice that I was given by multiple people when I first started. They said, and this is for me personally, and you guys can cut this out if you want. But they said for the, for, the first five years, because they knew kind of my goals. For the first five years, don't partner with anyone because majority of partnerships will end poorly, especially if you don't have clarity on where you're at. So I'm now at a place where I would be open to that. And we're just financially strong enough where that doesn't need to be the case. And we're looking into how to how to create more of an employee owned profit share system. Cause I'm a big fan of everyone having ownership in in the upside.
2: Yeah. Nice. Good for you. I was just curious. So awesome, Caleb. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you taking a time net worth of one seven, eight million, something around there, right? With the business and, and everything you have liquid. So thanks again for coming on. Really
0: appreciate it.